Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has been listening to Confessions of an Arcade Addict, and I want to ask that if you haven't done so already, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to it. That helps other people find the podcast. I do have other things coming up, uh, various trips to arcades around the area, and things of that nature, and of course I'm going to try and go back to Chicago in 2022, and with your help, I can actually do it. So please, like, rate, review, and subscribe, and if you're able to, and you're inclined to do so, please contribute to the podcast in any way that you can. Uh, the easiest way is to go to anchor.fm slash coaa slash donate. I think that's the link. So if you could help me out, I would much appreciate it. And that keeps me motivated to keep this podcast rolling past 100 episodes. I do have plans to do that. So let's see what we can do later. This is episode number 51 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, let's see, not too much going on since I recorded episode 50. Um, well, then again, I'm bearing the lead a little bit. Uh, I did take my son to Pinball Pete's today, today being Sunday, the 21st of February, or the 20th of February, I should say. Um, you know, he had a good time. He, of course, wanted to play all the ticket games and play air hockey and play pool all that stuff i wanted to see if he he actually was interested in a, a pinball machine uh i actually he wanted to play godzilla which is one of the latest releases stern has put out um he played it for a he played two balls and he was doing okay you know for a seven-year-old child with autism but his senses got overloaded the more he played the game, and then I had to take over to take over the last ball, which was kind of funny. Um, one of the people from the local Robotron Facebook group was there, and, you know, he put up a score of like 3 million, and I played a couple games of Robotron before we left, and the first one I didn't do so hot. I think I got like 350,000. And the second one I did much better. I did, got like 740,000. I'm still chasing that first million. To be completely honest about it, yeah, my first million on a dedicated Robotron cabinet. I think my high score on, um, I'd have to look at it. I think I still have the save, uh, I think I still have the save card somewhere, but on Robotron for the, uh, Williams Arcade Classics Volume 1 for the PlayStation, 
I think the score was like two and a half million or something like that. But, you know, I also messed around with the settings. So, like, I keep telling people that doesn't count. Uh, let's see. Aside from that, I've kind of been taking a little bit of a break from gaming. Uh, over the last, I want to say, week and a half, I've had just sort of this malaise going on and, you know, trying to snap out of it and so forth. But, um, the work last night at the arcade was pretty busy, although it kind of died off because the temperature plummeted and the winds picked up so everybody was kind of getting out of there i mean i felt sorry for one customer who's like this really petite dark-haired girl she walked in the door with her two friends and she was visibly shivering she was so cold poor thing um aside from that you know playing a couple of games uh before i uh start my shift i usually go in about an hour early to do that and then uh, after I close up and I get all the tasks done and I was waiting for my car to warm up, I played a couple games of Robotron at the arcade and I got, what, 803,000 or something like that, 804. Um, basically, I just took the top of the high score chart. Now, I understand to true Robotron experts, 800,000 is nothing, but hey considering that I'm playing this game in my 50s and I'm a lot better at it now than when it came out when I was 13. Hey, I'll take any advancement I can get. Uh, let's see, I've checked emails and messages through the various outlets and still nothing, so here we go again. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, uh, if you have a game that you want me to cover, uh, just giving you fair warning, it's going to be a while before I get to it because I have Are You Experienced segments for at least the next 16 to 18 episodes, if not more than that. And the list keeps getting longer as I keep finding games that I find interesting enough to talk about here. And I'm not um, treading over the same ground as the Retroist and Vic Sage did. I'm taking great pains not to do that. Um, but if you have a game that you you like and you would like me to cover, uh, hey, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. And there is a number for voicemails. The number is 734-743-2433. Also, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page run a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. There's a discussion group with that, and I need to get my button gear and put up another question for the people who have joined that group. So I'm going to probably do that before I go to bed tonight. Um, let's see, on Instagram, I am Arcade Addict Brian, and Facebook and Instagram are the two places where I am the most active. Um, usually I will post a little picture of myself once I've gotten myself settled at the arcade in Brighton and, you know, um, just basically just saying, hey, I'm at work tonight and we'll see what the night brings, but hey, people seem to dig it. Um, and of course I post those on Facebook and, uh, Twitter and Tumblr because you could actually do that with, uh, Instagram, which is cool. Um, and, uh, Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict so once again multiple ways of getting hold of the show twitter is arcade addict underscore b so hey get at me if you got a question you want a game that you want me to cover hey 
get a hold of me and I'll see what we can do from there. All right then. Uh, this episode's going to be a little bit information light. I realize that I've kind of bombarded you guys with a lot uh, with uh, the five parts of the Chicago trip. And um, this is the last episode, last episode for the Chicago trip, uh, part five. So I kind of took it a little bit easy because I know you, I've been, you know, invading your ears with a lot of thoughts and observations and reviews and rundowns and this and that and the other thing. So I figure we can take it a little easy this episode, but be warned, <laughs> episode 52 gets right back on the stick. So that's coming. Okay, so if we're all set, let's get moving right, right along with the show. Story time. Bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Story time. The Chicago Trip, Day 4. A last time to go home and final thoughts. Okay. Um, of course, you guys heard uh, my on the road segment in the last episode, you know, when I was driving through Chicago and I was just, you know, relating uh, my feelings on what had transpired. So this is pretty much uh, the companion to that. Um, when I woke up on Monday, I was a little out of it. I did not sleep well at all the night before, so I would sleep on and off through the morning until the front desk called my room to ensure that I was checking out today. Um, it was a bit of a minor annoyance because checkout time was actually 2 p.m. and they're calling me at 12. Um, after grumpily telling them that I would be checking out shortly, I rolled out of bed, took a shower, and packed my things. As I was packing, I considered my options as to where to go before I left Chicago to go home. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't very much appealing to me, and a lot of places were not opening up until at least 3 p.m., or at least the places I really wanted to go to. Um, so, rather than just bum around Chicago for three hours, I just decided to call it a day and head for home. Um, not only that, as I've said, uh, my son was missing me as well. He would call me and text me multiple times per day using his mother's phone, you know, asking me what I was doing and when I was coming home. So I kind of figured that, you know, I've run the course of this trip and it's just time to go home. So with a small sigh of resignation, I checked out of my hotel, loaded my stuff up in the car and got on the road. Um, as you heard in the on the road segment, it took me the better part of an hour to get through downtown Chicago, uh, as it was still lunchtime and interstate 90 slash 94 is always jammed up going through downtown, no matter what time of day, day it is. Uh, so it just was what it was, but I made it through. Okay. Um, once I got out of Chicago and through Indiana, the drive home was unremarkable aside from the recording I made, which you heard. Um, I made it home safely without incident. I returned the rental car the next day, and it was back to the normal grind after that. Um, I enjoyed the weekend thoroughly, but I didn't do as quite as much as I wanted to. Uh, I already have plans to do this again uh, this year, and 
maybe a week or before after Labor Day this time. You know, just not go there, you know, during a national holiday. That's a bad idea. Uh, it was good to get out of town for a few days and kind of recharge the batteries, all the while letting the inner 12-year-old run around and have his fun. Um, I'm hoping things are better, uh, but it's slowly, slowly reopening. But, you know, now we're hearing about another variant of the coronavirus that is only dealt with with uh, uh, booster shots, which is rather alarming news because I don't have my booster shot yet. I have to wait until uh, March to do it uh, because I contracted COVID in December and I have to wait three months to get the booster shot. Um so I'm hoping that, say, by summertime or the end of summer, things kind of open back fully up with, with us as a nation and we can kind of get back to how things were before this horrible virus, you know, took its toll on the world. Um, so um, I'm just hoping we could just put the last two years behind us because, yeah, it was terrible. Um, I'm a wanderer and a traveler at heart, so this trip was good for me in a lot of ways, and I hope I could do it again this year. But finances will tell the story. And speaking of stories, that's the end of story time, so let's move right along to Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Underground Retrocade, West Dundee, Illinois. Okay, uh, this place is in the small town of West Dundee, about a half hour west of my hotel near O'Hare Airport. Uh, with the way this place is laid out, it's almost like going back in time to the 80s when arcades were everywhere. The old school vibe is palpable from the moment you walk in the door. Uh, their selection is excellent. Um, they're the usual suspects as far as arcade machines go, but then you look a little deeper, and there are a few machines that even Galloping Ghost doesn't have, and that's saying something. Uh, their pinball machine is a little light, which is only the real critique I have about the place, aside from the distance from Chicago proper, but as I've said before, it's worth the trip. Um, that's also made up for the fact, made up for by the fact that they have real and true classic machines, like Monaco GP and Turbo, which I've been gushing about ever since the day I saw them, um, a Atari Baseball and Football, which I was completely surprised by, because I hadn't seen those machines in 30-plus years each. Um, and imagine my surprise when the owner of the place told me there was a second floor to the arcade that I completely missed when I was there. Oh, well, at least I have something to look forward to when I return to the area, hopefully this year. Uh, in this own way, uh, this place is just important as Galloping Ghost is. Uh, I got the same vibe from this place as I did when I walked into the arcade in Brighton for the second time, years and years ago. And that was a good thing because, like I said when I talked about the arcade in Brighton in my rundown and review, when I first got there, 
they were just getting started. There were um, machines in shrink wrap and various states of disrepair all over the place. You, you could see the potential because you saw how many machines that uh, were there, but it was going to take them a little bit to get themselves straightened out. And then when I went back there the following year, yeah, it was a lot more, a lot better. And I got that vibe when I walked into the Retrocade. Um, this place should be the baseline model for those who are starting out a small to medium-sized arcade. You start out with the games everyone is familiar with, and then you go for the stuff that you rarely see, but everyone remembers, and you keep building from there until you max the place out. Once you've done that, you charge a more than reasonable uh, one-time fee with uh, re-entry for your customers. You make sure the games are at least decently, decently maintained, and then you hire people who care, who are friendly and knowledgeable about the games that you have, and guess what? You have a successful arcade on your hands. I know it's easier said than done, but that's just the truth, or at least that's how I feel about it. Um, I think when I return to the area, hopefully this year, um, I'm going to go here first. Um, as I found out uh, through the months, ever since I got back from Chicago, there are a bunch of uh, arcades and barcades up in Wisconsin that I want to check out up in Madison in particular. I know Madison's a bit of a drive from Chicago, but I'm willing to go for it. And not to mention on the way back down, I can probably stop in Milwaukee and check out a few places if there are any that exist. I'm pretty sure there is. Milwaukee's a pretty decent-sized city. Um, let's see. Uh, I might stay out closer to uh, the Retrocade because the it's just a lot quieter than being near O'Hare Airport. Um, I'll have to figure it out once I start making plans. You know, I could see coming here several times over a weekend just as a way to decompress from whatever the day throws at me. And, you know, just sort of a, shall I say, palate cleanser from whatever uh, I went through that day. Um, like I said, when I got home uh, on Instagram, the owner said that he wanted to talk to me the next time I come out there because apparently he's a listener. And I think he is because he messages me on uh, Instagram all the time. And that kind of blew me away, too. I'm really flattered by that. Uh, for the record, his name is Scott Lambert. So, yeah, that's my rundown for Underground Retrocade. The review is coming in episode 52. Uh, so if you've got any thoughts, comments, questions about the Retrocade and your own feelings about it, hey, talk to me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, from there, let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arsed in the heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Race driving. Okay. I, I have to preface this by saying I've only played this game a handful of times. I cannot remember for the life of me who had it. I want to say it was Milford Wreck, 
but it might not have been. My memory is really hazy when it comes to that. It's kind of funny. It's like the further forward I move in my memory from when I was a child, now we're talking about 1989, 1990. I'm, what, 21 years old? You would think I would remember more things, but, <laughs> you know, it's just not the case. But anyway, let's get, let's get the information out to you. Once again, courtesy of Wikipedia. Race Driving is a driving arcade game that invites players to test drive several high-powered sports cars on stunt and speed courses. This game is a sequel to 1989's Hard Driving and was part of a new generation of games that featured 3D polygon environments. Unlike most racing games of its time, it attempted to model real-world car physics in the simulation of the movement of the player's car. Like Hard Driving, the game is unique among video games in that it includes a true force feedback steering wheel, an ignition key, a four-speed shifter, and three foot pedals, an accelerator, a brake, and a clutch. The clutch being control seldom seen in any video game then or now, and that's the truth. I think I could count the number of driving games that had a functional clutch on one hand with fingers left over and race driving and hard driving would be the first two I would think of. Uh, to continue, uh, released in August of 1990, approximately 1,200 units were produced at the time of its release for roughly $9,000 each. Uh, race driving was ported to a number of home systems in the mid-1990s, including the Super Nintendo, Amiga, Game Boy, Genesis, and Saturn. In 2005, it was included in the Midway Arcade Treasures 3 collection for the PlayStation 2, GameCube, and Xbox. Okay, let's move on to the gameplay. The gameplay resembles a driving game featuring four different cars, three with manual transmissions, a speedster, a roadster, and the original car, uh, ported from the first game, and one car with an automatic transmission, which is the original car also. Uh, and three different tracks to choose from, the regular stunt track, which is very similar to the one in hard driving, the autocross track, and the super stunt track. Uh, the screen shows a first-person perspective from inside the car through the windshield. The car's dashboard is visible and displays the car's instruments like the speedometer, tachometer, and fuel level, as well as other non-gameplay important ones, such as the oil, temp, and amp dummy lights. Each car has its own unique dashboard. That was a nice little touch. I do have to admit that. Okay. Uh, the game generally consists of racing one or two laps around the player's chosen track within the allotted time. The gameplay and vehicle operation and race driving are very similar to hard driving, and the gameplay elements are such as the instant replay and the off-road timer are still there. A noticeable difference between the two games, though, is that although the car traffic and race drive and stunt track is still there, like in the original hard drive and track, the two new tracks included in, in race driving, the autocross and super stunt track, are absent of any additional car traffic yet. That would, ma that would have made it a little too hard, I think, um, to continue. Also, like uh, unlike Hard Driving's original track that offers the driver two different driving paths, the two new tracks in Race Driving only one off only offer one driving path per track. The finish times for the of the new tracks are very different as well. The original track shared by Race Driving and Hard Driving takes roughly one minute and thirty seconds to complete. By comparison, the autocross track is very short, requiring roughly only 30 seconds to complete, and the super stunt track is consider considerably longer, which takes roughly th 3 minutes to complete. 
Uh, like its predecessor hard drive in the game features an ignition key, a realistic manual transmission mode, which includes, which includes a four-speed shifter with neutral, uh, a clutch pedal, and the possibility of stalling the car should one miss shift, and a force feedback steering wheel in which the driver has to all properly operate as they would a car in real life. The cockpit version of the game also in includes a, an adjustable bucket seat, and if it is a panorama version, only which of which only 100 were made, it sports three to five monitors for a full 180 peripheral view. Wow, I didn't know that. I wonder who has that. Uh, let's see, the enhancements. Uh, Rage Drive improved upon its predecessor in several ways. Uh, it had improved handling courtesy of a faster microprocessor and more efficient software. The TMS-34010 used for car modeling was replaced with an AT&T DSP-32C, which is faster and has floating point. Uh, instead of uh, modeling a car with only two wheels as hard driving did, race driving could model a car with all four wheels. Two more tracks and three more cars were added. The stunts in the new Super Stunt Track were either enhanced versions of the original ones. For example, Hard Driving's loop became taller, requiring more speed, and was now called a jump loop because it had an open gap at its peak. And the ramp jump now had two separate landing ramp ramps, each requiring a different speed. Or new stunts entirely, like the corkscrew loop, the mountain road, and the 45-degree vertical hill. Race Driving also introduced Buddy Race, where a second player could race against a previous player's recorded performance and linked race, where by connecting a cable between two race driving cabinets, the players could race each other simultaneously. Wow. I had no idea about that part because I've only seen one. <laughs> yeah, and considering that it was nine grand in 1990 money, I'm not surprised I only saw one. Okay. Uh, development and release. Uh, Doug Milliken, who also worked on hard driving, is credited as a test driver, but actually worked as a consultant for developing the car model. The model was used to lay out the physics of the game's car. The arcade version of race driving was exhibited at UK's Amus Amusement Trades Exhibition International show in 1991. And finally, the reception. In North America, the arcade version was the top new video game on the Replay arcade charts in October of 1990, and then the top upright arcade cabinet for November 1990, through early 1991 to May 1991. Wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know it was that popular, but let's let's finish this out. Uh, Race Driving Panorama was later named the top new arcade video game in August 1991. Electronic Gaming Monthly gave the Genesis version 23 out of 50, calling it another so-so entry in the driving scene due to its very choppy scrolling. And that's all the information for it. Okay, so my experience with my experiences with it. Unlike its predecessor, race driving was not as popular nor as prevalent either. I think Milford Wreck had it, and that was about it. Uh, I did like that you had multiple cars to select from and a high-speed track to run along with the classic track. Um, the gameplay was markedly faster and better, too, with the real-world style play seemingly upgraded, and as a matter of fact, it was. 
Um, it's too bad that this sequel wasn't as popular, but seeing as it was 1990 when it came out and arcades in my area were closing down in droves during that time, it's no big surprise either. But then again, this game and its predecessor are classic driving games, in my opinion. And that's Race Driving. Um, if you have any uh, experiences of your own with this game, uh, hey, let me know what you know. I want to hear what you got to say. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, and finally, we're going to go on to the arcade review, so let's do it. Arcade Bar, Logan Square, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, as I've as I've said ad nauseum, I base a review on an arcade on five criteria: location, selection, ambiance, functionality, value. Um, I've described each of these criteria in depth in previous episodes, so for sake of brevity, I'm not going to go into it here. Uh, each one of the criteria is rated from 1 to 10 with half points coming into play. So you add all the review numbers in, average it out by 5, and you come up with a total score. So let's get right to it. Okay, location. I'll give it a 7. Uh, the Emporium uh, Arcade Bar is on North Milwaukee Avenue, just to the southeast of West Fullerton Avenue. It's only a few blocks west of Logan Arcade, so it gets pretty much the same rating. And that's because it's fairly close, from what I remember, to a train line, and Interstate 90 and 94 is only like half a mile away at tops. So yeah, I give it a 7, just for ease of access. Um, uh, let's see... I would give it probably maybe a couple, uh, like another half point, but parking was at a bit of a premium when I went, which of course was a Saturday night, and it was like the first or second time it was opened after the uh, after the pandemic restrictions. So there it is. Uh, selection, I'll give that also a seven. Uh, Emporium is 24 games in total and leans fairly heavily on the classics. There's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Uh, from Defender to Ms. Pac-Man to Star Wars to Spy Hunter to Air Hockey to Chicago Bulls theme Papa Shot and Pinball, there's something for everyone here. So I'll give them bonus points for the cross section. You know, on the Saturday night I was there, most of the patronage weren't playing the games. They were much more interested in sampling the Where's the Bar had, dancing and whooping it up in general. And that's the truth. <laughs> and if it was the first or second week it was reopened, there's no big surprise in that or any shame in it either. Okay, ambiance, I'll give it a six. Um, despite the press of people, I was able to see how open the place would be if it wasn't so crowded that night. Uh, now that I think about it, I should have come down the Monday I left just to get a better run of the place. Uh, going off my memories of watching Jack Danger's streams when he went here regularly, there's music playing and, and the uh, atmosphere was pretty decent. So I'll give it slightly above average marks there. 
okay, functionality, 5.5. Uh, the games look too decent and not too beat up, but a couple of them were in need of serious maintenance, with the Spy Hunter machine in particular being in needing uh, tender loving care. Because if I remember correctly, the oil slick button didn't work properly, and if you're going to play Spy Hunter with any sort of proficiency, you need the oil slick. <laughs> so yeah. 5.5, just slightly above average. And value, I'll give 5.5 as well. Um, the Emporium runs on tokens, which was pretty quaint. Uh, you still only get four for a dollar, but I'll give it half a point for the novelty. Seeing them come out of the change machine gave me some pleasant arcade flashbacks. I did keep one of them as a souvenir, and it's on my desk right now. So, you know, every time I look at it, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was an interesting time. You know, I just wish I'd come there when it wasn't so crowded. Okay, so you add all those together, average it out by 5, and you come up with a total score of 6.2. I'll admit it, especially after listening to the vocal notes I recorded leaving the place, I certainly picked the wrong night to come here. Like I've been saying, I think it's a week or two after restrictions have been re uh, relaxed, even though you needed to wear a mask and show proof of vaccination, so people came out and forced determined to have a good time that night. It was packed, it was loud, and it kind of wasn't my scene, but I also chalk that up to me being a, an older person. I honestly believe I was the oldest person in the bar that night, and that realization in the moment made me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, thankfully I don't look my age, but I felt that way nonetheless. Uh, I think if I came down the Monday I left town, I would have felt better in, about it and seen more of the place. Live and learn, I suppose. So that's my review of Emporium in Logan Square. So you live in the Chicago area and you listen to the show and you have different feelings on it. Hey, let me know what you think. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Okay, that is it for this show. Short and sweet. You know, nothing too heavy. And we can get back to the uh, normal... Uh, function of the show starting in episode 52 um let's see looking at my give me let me look at my uh my show notes and let's see i have well episode 52 is done of course uh yeah so's 53 so's 54 i'm so, yeah 54 is done uh i think 55 i'm working on and we just go from there. But yeah, I've got episodes fully f m planned out, not fleshed out, all the way up to right around episode 60. So, you know, we're in it for the long haul, folks. So I'm going to try to see if I can make it to 100 episodes, and then we'll see where we go from there. So anyway, this is Brian saying, have fun out there, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.